The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tung. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation and I'm your host, Peter Tung. Thank you for joining us today. These shows will give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And I am delighted to be back with you after a couple of weeks off. Uh, for those of you that tuned in, I hope you enjoyed the, the rerun show of Rafi two weeks ago and David Sarida last week, uh, two wonderful guests on the show. And I want to thank all of the listeners of Seventh, Nave, uh, Seventh Wave Network for supporting my shows so strongly. Um, the, le- the listenership for last August uh, archived was over 7,000 listeners. And then in September, uh, the numbers leapt a quantum leap forward to 6,000 live listeners and 29,000 archived listeners. And so in the month of September, there were 36,000 uh, uh, listeners to the different shows that we put on, uh, and it was a wonderful series of shows. But I really want to thank you for your support, which has really encouraged me to continue with the Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation shows. And I uh, will make the commitment to all our listeners to continue unraveling the mystery as we shift towards this more conscious realm of uh, this beautiful planet Earth. And that leads me to our guest today, Richard Flyer, and, w- and we have some really interesting synchronistic coincidences. Uh, I'm involved in my hometown of Victoria, British Columbia, of setting up a community which is called Conscious Centered Community, and I'm almost certainly going to make a mistake today because Richard has been involved in setting up Conscious Community Network, CCN, in Reno, Nevada. And there obviously are some really interesting um, comparisons and similarities. I'll just give one, for example. Um, Richard, uh, in his organization, has five virtues, which include respect, integrity, service, love, and courage. And conscious-centered community has five pillars, which include the same three, respect, integrity, and service. And we have peace and harmony substituted for love and courage. And so it's really fascinating that these two organizations, absolutely no contact between us in the physical realm at least, uh, coming up with these incredible similarities of name and qualities that we hold in the highest regard. So Richard, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Peter. 
So perhaps you could begin by just giving us a little bit of your own personal background um, as to what led you into this uh, conscious community network. Thank you for the opportunity. Maybe I'll share just briefly something uh, personal before we you know, go further about the conscious community network and how it works and some of the background. I um, I think I'm like many of your listeners who've had a variety of spiritual or religious experiences, and you know sometimes we may pay attention to them, maybe. Sometimes we don't, um, and sometimes society kind of, you know, looks at them as maybe woo-woo or, <laughs> or something kind of odd. Uh, but I certainly wanted to validate uh, by sharing a little bit personally, um, validate others' experiences that, that they are real and they're meaningful, and, and uh, it's a, a method of uh, getting impressions, I guess, from spirit uh, to guide us. And uh, first, you know, I was raised... Uh, in a Jewish uh, home. And I guess when I was very young, maybe about 12 or 13, I began to have some experiences right around the time when I was going to sleep. And without getting into too much detail, it just felt like you know, energy coming up. And, and I was able to um, see, uh, see light and, and feel energy, but it, it kind of was really traumatic. And I didn't share it with anybody. It was traumatic in the sense that it felt like I was, I was dying. And uh, my ego, anyway. Um, so this was, I'd say, every night for years. And I think after, gosh, when I was 16 or 17, these experiences then went into what I would consider when I was sleeping, when I was dreaming, and it became more peaceful with golden light. And anyway, without getting into too much detail, I definitely uh, had a sense, without knowing it at the time, of a sense of purpose. There was some meaning to this, something behind the scenes, that, that this wasn't all just random occurrences and <clears throat> that there was something deeper. And, it, and it, those experiences kind of continued on my, my seeking and, and, uh, and search. And through, through time in the early 80s, I found myself uh, living in a, uh, a Tibetan Buddhist monk's uh, retreat center. So I studied meditation. So here I was, I was Jewish, but then I started studying meditation. And then within a few years, I had a series of other experiences that led me to Mexico, and I lived for a year actually living in a tent on some land in the mountains of uh, Baja, California, studying with an Aztec medicine woman who also was Christian. So for about a year, I was uh, learning uh, traditional healing and, and spiritual healing that, that she did, and she was just a beautiful human being, really exemplified all the qualities, I think, that we've heard about of love and somebody that's just giving of themselves, and she didn't uh, charge for what she was doing. There was kind of an exchange with the uh, indigenous people in the mountains that came for healing, and, and it was just a beautiful, beautiful experience. And I'd like to share, uh, before going on more detail about conscious community, share a little bit, maybe one of the experiences. So after that time, I think it was about 1990, I was traveling in, in Mexico and going to San Felipe in Baja, and it was at night, and I was a passenger in a vehicle. And all of a sudden, it was, uh, I was sitting there, I was looking out into the dead of night, because it was dark and there were not too many lights. I just had the experience of my heart opening, and I just felt golden light. And all of a sudden, I had this experience, and I, I, I wouldn't say it's a hallucination, but I had an experience internally, but I saw it externally of a, of a figure. And it was somebody in a robe and had a beard and... and uh, I, I didn't have any formal, you know, training or, or uh, understanding of Jesus and Jesus Christ. I, but I, 
I felt that that was uh, Jesus Christ and said something to me that I think really triggered off a, a path to where I am today trying to relate spiritual unfolding on a personal level with community and social transformation. And he said to me, the end of the world is near. And he showed me some image, and I, I had the experience of going above the earth, and I looked down upon the whole planet. It was like a bird's eye view. And I saw the beautiful earth from space, and all the lights, kind of like you would see a picture of the cities lit up at night from space, from some of the satellites and uh, you know, the spacecraft that are there. And I, instead I saw lights as individual people, the souls of, of each person on Earth, and it was like a ray of light was coming out from everyone's heart. And that ray, those rays converged above the Earth, and they became this really brilliant, magnificent heart with colors of gold and a purple light above the planet, and it was just this glowing heart, and it looked like the light then came down to the planet and created a web of connections between all the individual hearts. It was like heaven coming down to earth, if I can use a metaphor. It was very beautiful. And I realized that there was something, even though for me, archetypally, it felt like Jesus Christ, there was a more cosmic, universal sense of the experience. And it was uh, there was a message regarding what was happening now. Um, I guess this was almost uh, 20 years ago, but it was about how we don't realize that the law of life, if you will, is written inside our hearts, and that since we don't recognize this and act upon it, what's happened is civilizations over time have risen and fallen simply because we haven't got the message, and we kept repeating the same era, and I'm afraid that's happening today. So in the past, you had empires rising and falling, and rising and falling, and then there'd be regional chaos, you know, after the Roman Empire fell. And today, we have this global economic empire, if you will, and it seems like we're repeating the same errors and that we're not looking beyond ourselves, and we think that we can solve all these problems in a myriad of ways um, through our ego without really um, being uh, led by what you could call spirit. Uh, or God, and so I guess this this message really is kind of resonating within me as I've been again exploring how to apply this experience into my real regular life in my family, in the neighborhoods I live, in community, and I began to to learn a little bit more. And I guess through that experience, even though I was Jewish and studied Tibetan Buddhism, I think through that I realized I look at uh, Jesus as my elder brother, and I. I see him as an example, at least for myself personally, that, that gives me um, understanding of, of how to to live my life and also understanding some of the larger archetypes um, that involve broader community context. So that was long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, Richard, we're coming up uh, to our first break very soon. So, but what did you feel that the, the end of the world is near actually meant to to tell you, we've only got one minute to the break. So well, just... I, I don't think it's maybe like a lot of people look at it primarily as physical. They might say, well, the end of the world is going to be some physical event and the believers are going to be taken up into heaven. I, I don't believe that now, especially from this experience and from what I'm seeing. And it seems 
that the experience of the end of the world had to relate to, uh, it's like a dying of that struggle between spirit's will and our ego will. So the end times are upon us, if you will, in that now the whole world is surrounded by a more materialistic civilization, and we're really on the brink. We're on the brink of, of blowing it big time. Uh, so Richard, we've got to go to break there, and so when we come back, we'll talk about <laughs> conscious community and what we can do to make sure we go beyond that brink. All right, this, thank you. This is Peter Tung, Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. We'll be back in a moment. Be Extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. How do we walk our true spiritual path at a time when the Western world is fixated on material gain? More people are now recognizing the emptiness, which comes with this limited approach to life. There is another way. Four years ago, Peter Tong left his position as a high school principal with 30 years experience in the education system and turned to his true calling of a metaphysical life. He now uses his experience and wisdom to provide solutions to personal and organizational challenges. Peter offers corporate workshops and seminars, public meditations, radio interviews, healing sessions, and community visits to bring awareness of the new paradigm. The Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Visit PeterTong.com today to register for events and to purchase his transformative visualization meditation CDs. You can also download the meditation CDs as MP3s if you wish for listening on your computer or on the go. These are available now at PeterTong.com. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. What's it like? What's it like? It's lonely. It's really lonely. I miss my brother. I miss my brother. I'm surrounded by other people, but it's not the same. I've got other people around me, but it's not the same. It's pretty scary, but I don't let it rattle me. It's pretty scary around here, but I don't let it rattle me. You always have to watch your back. There's no one to watch my back. I spend my whole day worried who's out to get me. I'm always wondering who's out to get me. But I can take care of myself. But I can take care of myself. No matter what, I'll keep my head up. No matter what, I'll keep my head up. It's not like I have a choice. It's not like I have a choice. This will all be over in five years, three months, and 17 days. This will all be over in five years, three months, and 17 days. Go to jail for a gun crime and your family serves a sentence with you. Something to think about before committing a gun crime. Gun crimes hit home. This message brought to you by Project Safe Neighborhoods and the Ad Council. The new home for visionary positive change. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. 
If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. And today we have with us Richard Flyer. And before the break, Richard was describing and explaining the wonderful experiences that he had in his own world, his own realm, and how he now wants to take that individual experience to connect with others in community. So perhaps, Richard, you could now talk a little bit about how the Conscious Community Network developed. I really uh, love to. Um, about six years ago, um, there was a kind of it was a, a difficult time. The the, uh, the second Persian Gulf War was was looked like it was developing, and there were a number of people in in our community in Reno that were really looking at alternatives and you know how we could represent um, uh, and be be peace, if you will, in our community. So one thing we decided we we had a kind of a roundtable, and it was decided that what we can do to help connect our community and build the seeds of peace were to focus on supporting local businesses in our community, and it may be kind of a stretch and a leap, but that was kind of how we started. And so what we did was we identified 150 small businesses in our community, and we began to find ways so that we could support those businesses and support our local economy, and as Many of your listeners know when you support local business, the dollars flow and recycle more in a community so it can help develop the roots of sustainability. Sustainability not just in a financial sense, but also all the, all the great work that's being done to help, help others through charities and, and through uh, other kinds of spiritual and religious organizations that depend on donations and volunteerism. So that's kind of how we started. And at the time, I really didn't know, didn't have so much as a method as a learning experience. And from that small beginning, we had what we call breakfast meetings, and we had um, both religious leaders, spiritual leaders, business community leaders, community organization leaders, and, and the general public. We met sometimes with up to 110 people once a month, and we began discussing not only financially how we can support local business, but how we could help our community as well. And that led to the next phase. So we, we built an online directory. We had a physical directory that was distributed in the community to support this idea of you know, increasing connectivity. Then the next step was the development of a local food system network. So what happened there was we, we thought, wow, you know, if we're interested in sustainability and the seeds of peace and we want to promote positive virtues, let's support our ability and capacity in the community to produce its own food and support all the existing food-related businesses and strengthen that part. So the, what I learned from that experience, we're going to get into it later, I hope, is the concept of community weaving. And weaving is really important because we're all generally fragmented in, into our own sub-communities. So we continued the process of increasing connection, and we had a meeting at one of these breakfast meetings where we bought together people who were, you know, our local farmers, uh, people that um, had restaurants, people in the food, in the people that were really concerned about organic and healthy food, sustainability, people even from the school district that purchased food. Uh, so we brought them all together, as well as people who are concerned about uh, those that, that aren't getting enough food, uh, children and adults that are in poverty. 
so we invited representatives from our, our WIC program and the, the Northern Nevada Food Bank. Everybody came together. What was really interesting, one of the participants that leads a food-related organization, and she stood up and said, you know, for the last six years I've been wanting to do this. I've been wanting to get everybody together, but I just didn't have the time to do it. So it struck me as very interesting because all of us are taking care of our own needs financially to take care of our families. We work. Uh, we're very busy. If we have an organization, we're taking care of that organization, and a lot of times it leads to fragmentation. So while we're all doing good, sometimes the good isn't brought together. So that statement from that leader reflected what I began to learn about the need for weaving in a new community context to really help to go to the next step, not only for community evolution, but spiritual development, spiritual evolution um, how we look at spirituality, that it's not just a personalized, isolated uh, thing that we do ourselves, but it's something we do in community. It's very important. So the local food system network began, and that developed its own kind of momentum, and there was a core group that developed, and now that process has led to a variety of and strengthened existing efforts. A community food cooperative, it helped... Um, encourage a, a, a community-supported agriculture program connecting farmers with uh, local consumers, and it also led to the development of a public farmer's market that was supported officially by the city of Reno. So what began as initial steps of just gathering people together kind of percolated throughout our whole community. What I learned from this experience with the food system was that it's, very, it's highly effective when you bring a core group of people together focusing on just higher awareness, high spiritual consciousness, but also connecting the community. And when you do that, what happens is is that you can help to develop a myriad of projects that are actually of benefit to people in the physical world. So that's kind of what we became, a catalyst. So instead of trying to control things and building an empire, which is the old model, what we did was we got a group of people who had the highest intention for our community together to just simply connect others so that they, in turn, would form projects. So we didn't end up you know, becoming project managers and having raised funds for that. We provided a, a community function. So the next stage, besides you know, local economy and food, was a, a meeting in, in 2006 where we focused on another aspect, which is how we started to deepen into a common more universal spiritual uh, language, we had a meeting of, of 13 or 14 religious and spiritual leaders from all different faiths. We had community uh, businesses, community organizations, some political leaders, and the general public. We all got together and we, we met and we asked a series of questions. And the main question was, what is it that's keeping us from, you know, uh, or actually was what was the, uh, the main problem you see in society? And everybody seemed to resonate that it was disunity, the lack of unity. So what was very interesting in that meeting is we actually brainstormed 150 ideas for building unity. And one of them was to develop a process where we clarified what common virtues that we had, both from the religious, spiritual kind of sector of society or world to business and even government. So we kind of looked at common virtues. And that process led to the list of five main virtues that you uh, mentioned earlier in the program. Each of those five virtues has probably, you know, there's a total of 32 virtues. So there's all these sub-virtues. And we did that because 
it's important for us to understand what aspects of our awareness, our consciousness, do we want to activate, like living in integrity, uh, being responsible, being, you know, doing uh, acts of service uh, during our daily life, um, practicing forgiveness and love. And all these things kind of resonated, and what happened was we then led to the formation of a group process. So then it, this is kind of how this emerged, and there was a, a group process called a team, and we experimented with that, and now we have three years of experience, and we'll talk about that at the end, hopefully, which we ended up being called a Conscious Community Weaver Group. And its purpose was to focus on sharing stories personally about how we're doing our best to overcome obstacles and challenges of kind of being in our bodies and living an egoic kind of existence and how we can overcome that by focusing on virtues in real-life experiences. For example, I know in one of the, in the fall a couple years ago, personally for myself, I just I realized that I had a lot of unforgiveness for my mother, and it took me maybe months of focusing on that in this group process with the other folks in the group that it was able to, uh, I was able to really uh, reach a new level and understanding and relationship with my mother that's now just really blossomed. And, and uh, you know, my, my mom's in her uh, late 80s, so I, uh, you know, it was really time for me to overcome, uh, overcome that. So this process helped in that respect. We'll get into some more details later about it. The other thing we did was we, one of the other things was to form a kind of an annual event that's now become like more of a daily thing where, People just simply do events to get to know their neighbor, simply doing potlucks and block parties and that kind of thing. But to really do it more systematically, where in a given several three three or so blocks, people commit to bringing together their neighbors for the purpose of looking at common needs and sharing with one another. It's kind of an irony, but you know we're able to communicate globally through cell phone and internet. We've got this great global civilization potential. And we tend to focus, whether it's business, uh, all over the planet, but when it comes to walking across the street and meeting somebody that may be a stranger, that sometimes brings up some fear. So it was very interesting, the kinds of experiences that people had, it helped them to overcome some of that fear. And the kind of society that we live in is very compartmentalized, and it's kind of like a garage door existence where you just kind of go home and you go in your garage and you don't see anybody. But as what we realized was if you want peace in this whole world, which is a huge ideal of humanity for a long, long time, it's got to be based in something very practical, and it's got to be based in, and its foundation is in love. And, but in order to love, you have to overcome a lot of the internal conflicts. You may not like your neighbors. You may not like other people. So it's a spiritual practice itself. It's not just a, doing a Pollock. And that's led to you know, an annual event where we could have up to 100 gatherings with thousands of people participating. And then many have chosen to do that on an ongoing basis, and many of those are developing um, like home gardening and permaculture and actually sharing resources with neighbors. As the you know, economic collapse happened last uh, fall, it certainly was timing, timely that people began to realize that we can't depend on this economy globally uh, for the basics of, of uh, what we need to live. So it brought it home. It's a spiritual aspect in overcoming our differences. But it's also so, so, Richard, I'm coming up to our next break, so we need to, to, to make a break. Um, fascinating discussion, though, and this is Peter Tung with 
Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. We'll be back shortly. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure, what's up? Um, there's this girl I kind of like. Well, if there's one thing I know, it's women. Really? Well, they didn't call me velvet for nothing. I don't get it. Smooth. I was smooth. Oh. Anyway, it's easy. You just got to impress her. Show her how strong you are. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? I don't know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt, if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, Ugh! Try it. Ugh! Ugh! <laughs> See, there you go. And you should dress up. Start wearing a shirt and tie. I'll look like a dork. No, you'll look successful. Okay. And finally, you can start using my cologne. <clears throat> the ladies love it, so don't be shy. Splash it on. Thanks, Dad. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To find out how you can adopt, please visit our website at adoptuskids.org or call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. How do we walk our true spiritual path at a time when the Western world is fixated on material gain? More people are now recognizing the emptiness, which comes with this limited approach to life. There is another way. Four years ago, Peter Tong left his position as a high school principal with 30 years experience in the education system and turned to his true calling of a metaphysical life. He now uses his experience and wisdom to provide solutions to personal and organizational challenges. Peter offers corporate workshops and seminars, public meditations, radio interviews, healing sessions, and community visits to bring awareness of the new paradigm, the awakening to conscious co-creation. Visit PeterTong.com today to register for events and to purchase his transformative visualization meditation CDs. You can also download the meditation CDs as MP3s if you wish for listening on your computer or on the go. These are available now at PeterTongue.com. Tune in to Inner Speak Soul Adventures Talk Radio Show every Tuesday evening at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 Eastern, and learn how to let go of your past and create the reality you desire and deserve, allowing your inner communication to take place more easily without the interference of our noisy mind chatter or your ego. Inner Speak Soul Adventures with Gene Adrian, right here on the Seventh Wave Network. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. And today we have with us Richard Flyer, who's talking about conscious community. And I just wanted to follow up on one area, Richard, that um, it seems to me from your discussion so far that, in fact, there isn't an actual uh, home base for the community uh, as a center, but much more it's about spreading 
uh, an elevated consciousness throughout the whole of the community. Would that be the case? You know, that's absolutely correct. Um, what we've learned in the experience is that by small groups meeting, whether in a home or in a public space, but without any kind of, you know, thinking about funding and staff and thinking organizationally as we typically do, but just uh, creating a, a spiritual community of support whose purpose is to connect the community as well, that the impacts are dramatic in terms of it acting as a catalytic effect by generating goodwill personally, but also generating all these projects that this core, these core groups of weavers start to connect, help to connect for the purpose just of providing connection, not for building, like in the old paradigm, an empire, you know, or a big organization. So this is kind of a, a self-organizing process, if you will. And it spreads the responsibility over a large number of people, too. You know, it's true with consciousness. If you even smaller groups operating or trying, attempting anyway, with the intention of operating at a higher uh, level of awareness, that it has a spin-off effect, and and we've through these activities, uh, have affected tens of thousands, if not a hundred thousand people, in our community. That's wonderful. So, Richard, tell us uh, what what you would consider to be the uh, ideal conscious community. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I'm really happy that I don't have to be the one to actually create something new <laughs> because that's just an intellectual process. You know, there are no real, um, you know, uh, uh, modern works on this. So you're kind of, in a sense, on your own. But I was fortunate enough to be open, and I realized that historically um, I wanted to uh, you know, point out three main spiritual figures that, had developed something like conscious community, they just called it different things. So uh, I guess what I've done is just try to be open to learning, and I'm glad I don't have to reinvent something because it's already been invented. And I want to start by talking initially, well, there'll be three. One is Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God that was developed really in the context of the Roman Empire. And then the second, Mahatma Gandhi, developed Sarvodia as a concept, that's his renaming of this ideal society that happened within the British Empire. And finally, Dr. Atieri Ratne, who's living today, working in Sri Lanka villages from a Buddhist perspective. But here you have a, a Jesus as Jewish, you have Gandhi as Hindu, and Dr. Ari as Buddhist, all coming upon, I believe, uh, an archetype. Let me just give, kind of start with Jesus and, and try to be brief because I realize that we're going to run out of time. <laughs> um, what's interesting is that Jesus was, uh, was Jewish, and his teaching actually was based in the Torah. And as one of my rabbi friends was telling me, the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible, um, the Torah is not just words. It's actually a blueprint for, for reality itself, how everything is put together as part of a plan of creation. So it's very interesting so Jesus was following in that tradition. What he did was he had two fundamental principles that are at root of this type of what he called the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. Um, and it's basically one is love God with all your heart and all your might, and two, love your neighbor as yourself. Those two principles are foundational in building community, building society. Now, I'm not. We don't get it caught up in def defining God, so this is not a theological discussion, because 
as many people you have on the planet, you probably have different conceptions of what God or a higher reality would be. Some people who are maybe spiritual but not religious may call that cosmic intelligence. In any event, uh, Jesus expressed this ideal in the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of like an operating system. You could call it his kingdom manifesto. And it was really amazing, because the setting that Jesus uh, came upon the scene was much like our own. It was a vast empire, the Roman Empire, now it's global, of basically greed and money. It was basically bent on domination. It was making conquest. It was, uh, there was a large gap between rich and poor. There was really no spiritual or ethical foundation to how business was done. Um, people basically followed their own ideas with, their, with pride, and they just thought they knew what was going on. A lot of people were professing love and religious ideals, but not really walking their talk. And people were just really fragmented into different ethnic and religious subcommunities. So here is into this empire context. Jesus comes about and he says, "The kingdom is here. The kingdom is around you. The kingdom is within you." I mean, it's such a radical statement given the fact of the violence of the Roman Empire at that time for Jesus to make such a a, uh, a dramatic statement. So what I learned from this. You know, my understanding of Jesus, in, and especially the Sermon on the Mount, is how he went about building community. He had a small group of, in that case, was disciples, but they built what could be called a countercultural community. And it wasn't something like a, a commune separated from the society. It was embedded in the Galilean, the villages, and the poor villagers were involved. And what he did and got, you know, the community around Jesus, uh, what they were doing was they were basically going against all the, the, the grain of how the empire is. Instead of separating people based on religion and, and class, they brought everybody together in what's called table fellowship, people of all kinds that came together. So that's a very important principle. Even tax collectors and prostitutes were sitting at the table and Jesus would eat with them. It was quite a dramatic statement. And they, they, had a, they made a commitment to a life of reconciling love towards God and to each other. And they made sure that everybody's taken care of, rich as well as poor. So it was kind of a countercultural community around Jesus embedded in the real world of the Galilean villages. And I believe that's one reason he was killed, was because that's a dramatic threat to the empire, because it, they weren't kind of you know, going along with the empire uh, values and principles. So instead of Jesus coming just to proclaim a, a, a heaven that we go to after, after we die... In, and I'm not arguing that that exists or not, but I, what I resonate with is how he brought a community of people together who, who lived in a radically different manner than what the empire wanted them to. And it was really a threat to control that the empire wanted to have over everybody. And it sounds familiar. It's just that now the empire is global. We have an economic empire. It may not be the same physical brute force to, in, to, to impose it, now we have consumerism and distractions and trying to get us to, to you know, buy more things and have more things and define our reality that way. So consumerism, materialism is prominent. So that's a form of control, and as a result, we're not free. We're enslaved to that. We allow that to happen. So anyway, let me move forward. Mahatma Gandhi was very interesting. He said that Jesus occupies, in my heart, the place of one of the greatest teachers who have ever has a considerable influence on my life. That's what Mahatma Gandhi said. And he said the Sermon on the Mount went straight to his heart. And it was very interesting when he was asked about how to solve the problems between Great Britain and India. He said, when your country and mine shall get together on the teachings laid down by Christ in his Sermon on the Mount, 
we shall have solved the problems not only of our countries, but those of the whole world. So you can see that even though Gandhi was raised a Hindu, and he was a practicing Hindu, he had a place in his heart for this template, and he called this template Sarvodia. So Gandhi, or I'm sorry, Jesus Christ termed it the kingdom of God. Mahatma Gandhi called it Sarvodia, which later was translated the awakening of all through sharing of labor, energy, and, and spirit. And to move forward a little bit, Mahatma Gandhi was not able to really develop his Sarvodia ideal because he was fighting for independence from, from Britain. He said at the end of his life that he'd wished he'd spend more time on this constructive program. And I'm going to move forward now to Dr. Atiari Ratne, who's in Sri Lanka, who in 1959 began what he calls the Sarvodia Shramadana movement. And it took up where Gandhi left off by applying Gandhian values of nonviolence, but it also added some other constructive work. So right now, the, the Sarvodia movement has organized half of the country of Sri Lanka in 16,000 villages, and they've developed. And there, it, they're coming from a Buddhist perspective. It's the same archetype, and the way that they've modeled the Sarvodia ideal is what's called a Commonwealth of Village Republic. So they're trying to get local villages to develop self-government and economic self-sufficiency by practicing also the common virtues that we've been discussing. Very similar, in a sense, to what Jesus was doing by building a, quote, countercultural community in the Roman Empire context, what Gandhi was doing in the villages in India, and now Dr. Ari is doing there from a Buddhist base. It shows that this template is built into reality. It's not random. It's not my idea. I just happened upon these, these um, archetypes that were lived. So we don't have to create anything new. There's nothing newfangled about what I've been sharing. It's very common. It's very simple. And there's some plan that's built into reality that if we would pay attention to it, it would not only define how we can grow spiritually, but how we can build community, our family first, and how we can take that into neighborhoods and in our local region, how we can build a beloved community, which is actually something that Dr. King, Martin Luther King, called, which was a restatement also of the kingdom of God concept. So Martin Luther King called it beloved community. So all these archetypes are there for us to learn from and to follow. We don't need to invent anything new today. We just need to understand what our, our spiritual teachers have been talking to us about over the last several thousand years. So Richard, we're going to go to our next break. Uh, this is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. We'll be back with you shortly. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. Experience higher love, an archangelic journey into ascended joy and authentic living. Your hosts, Sri Ram Ka and Kira Ra, will assist you to open your heart, expand your love, and be ever-present with true joy. Your journey with Sri and Kira begins right here on the 7th Wave Network with Higher Love, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. How do we walk our true spiritual path at a time when the Western world is fixated on material gain? More people are now recognizing the emptiness which comes with this limited approach to life. There is another way. 
Four years ago, Peter Tong left his position as a high school principal with 30 years experience in the education system and turned to his true calling of a metaphysical life. He now uses his experience and wisdom to provide solutions to personal and organizational challenges. Peter offers corporate workshops and seminars, public meditations, radio interviews, healing sessions, and community visits to bring awareness of the new paradigm. The Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Visit PeterTong.com today to register for events and to purchase his transformative visualization meditation CDs. You can also download the meditation CDs as MP3s if you wish for listening on your computer or on the go. These are available now at PeterTong.com. When you have a stroke, you may not even notice it right away. But then... Time passes, and the symptoms get worse. One minute you feel fine, and the next, your speech could be slurred or not make sense. One side of your body might become numb. You might see double. You drop the TV remote because you can't hold up your arm. That's because, after a stroke, every minute you don't get help is another minute that your brain is being starved of oxygen. The warning signs of a stroke include sudden numbness or weakness of the face, arm, or leg, sudden trouble seeing, speaking, or understanding. If you experience any of these warning signs, call 911 immediately, because time lost is brain lost. Visit strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE today. A public service announcement from the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Be extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. And today we have with us Richard Flyer, who's just given us a beautiful description of the universal template for conscious community. So, Richard, the obvious question is, why isn't why aren't we reaching this ideal on a, on a large scale? You know, maybe we're not getting the message. <laughs> we're a stubborn species and stubborn people. <laughs> um, well, you know, it, it's interesting in this last economic this collapse that just we just have all been experiencing and are currently experiencing. Um, I look at that as a wake up call as well, but it's a broader wake up call. And it's showing us that thousands of years of civilization, um, the rise and fall of different types of societies, we're at this place right now where we, we could have a global collapse. Obviously, something's not working. Just briefly, um, Arnold Toynbee, in a study of historian, in a study of multiple civilizations, he concluded that civilizations all follow kind of a very similar pattern of dominion or the desire to, to dominate. Initially, they form because people are helping each other economically so people cooperate a lot more, but once the civilization acquires more material resources, then it starts separating into rich and poor. Once that happens, you get this fragmentation, 
And then I guess the epitaph of many a civilization that, doc, that Arnold Toynbee studied was died from moral and spiritual decline. And I'm afraid that that same cycle is happening right now as we speak, and it's happening to our country, to America and, and other countries around the world. So the same pattern of dominion and desire for control is something that's built into the way is part of our, our makeup, as well as the desire to, to receive love and to, to share and give love and to you know, demonstrate forgiveness. So we're kind of a mixed bag as human beings, but this pattern still seems to be in effect, and yet the way we try to change the world still remains the same. There are those that believe we can change the world simply by if enough individuals were spiritually enlightened or get salvation for their particular deity, that somehow everything may be okay. And that's, there is a truth to that. You know, let the, there be peace in the world and let it begin with me. There's truth to that. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient. Many of us look at that as the whole thing, that that's all we need to do and let the world you know, take care of itself. Well, that hasn't worked. Another way is the way of the activist, where you try to change society on its terms. You try to change political institutions. You, you're kind of fighting them. But what happens in that respect is, without a spiritual foundation as an activist, a lot of times activists are justifiably angry, but that approach to change just generates more compromise, and it just muddies the waters, and that hasn't worked. Many people believe that we just need to depend on our government or religious institutions or corporate business institutions or the military, and that's going to be enough to take care of it. Well, as I just shared with you, it hasn't worked for five or 10,000 years. We're the same human species. We've made a variety of, of progressive movements, like, you know, we've ended slavery. Women are treated um, equally, you know, in, in many parts of the world now and there's uh, universal suffrage in most parts of the world. So these are positive things. But the root foundational um, darkness, if you will, that's within each of us, it projects out collectively and always generates the same kind of situation where we look to external forms to, to, uh, to change the world. And I believe ultimately the reason why this is is because deep down we don't want freedom. We don't so, really so want just because we're coming up uh, to the top of the hour shortly. So, what have you discovered is working in this movement towards this uh, ideal conscious community? Well, what we've learned through our experience, and it's it's been a long one. We started externally by doing a lot of different projects in the community through economic self-reliance, what's called relocalization of economic and other resources, local food system, people getting to know your neighbor. But ultimately, we discovered that the most simple thing and it's free, and anybody can do it, is form a group of, a core group of people who are working to support one another spiritually, but also the, this kind of core group uh, becomes a vehicle for connecting the community in a very concrete, practical way, all the different positive projects that are, that are going on in a, in a given community. So what we call that are we call that a weavers group, conscious community weavers. Uh, people can call that you know other names. That's that's fine. We've developed through three years of experience a practical kind of format. So basically, people come together and they share how we are working personally to live and build this kind of uh, you know spiritually based uh, civilization, and they share it in a group. Then people make intentions on specific 
specific areas that they need to work on personally. So it creates a group space for sharing attentions and also accountability. So community is very important. The third part of the Weavers Group is a, a way for people to share briefly what they're doing, the projects and other kinds of community involvements, or if they have an idea that they want to you know, do something to better the community, they share that and express what their needs are, like volunteers, financial resources. And then at the end of the meeting, after we close, people connect with one another. And as a result of this, this is like a process of catalyzing both spiritual transformation within the person and also community connection, building hundreds and hundreds of projects that are out in the community that are now getting connected. It's like connecting and reweaving, connecting the dots. So you take, if you will, our little sub-communities, our small groups that we're part of right now, we're not saying you should stop, you know, people shouldn't stop being involved in what they're doing, whether it's church or their spiritual group or political or social groups. But what we need to do is, is go the next step in human evolution, which we believe involves connecting those that are different. And the way so Richard, we're, we're coming, we're coming up to the end, and I think we've we've got a really good overview there. But let's uh, give give us your website so anyone who would like to connect with you within the Nevada area, or in fact about how to create community, just give us your website quickly. You know the website it's time Reno, all one word dot org, and there'll be in, in the next year there'll be a, a series of classes related to this, and also a teleconference for people who are outside of uh, Reno area could participate in a teleconference to, to learn more about how, how they might be able to start a uh, Conscious Community Weaver group in, in their community. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Richard. It's been a wonderful uh, hour spent with you, and you're doing great work on behalf of uh, community. So thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank oh, you wonderful. Thank you. Uh, next week, my guest is uh, Michael Jacko, who is uh, a former Navy SEAL and has recently written a book called The Intuitive Warrior, and Michael had some very interesting experiences while uh, in uh, the, the Middle East serving his country and uh, used his intuitive gifts to avoid um, trouble and also uh, to actually change the course of the future. It will be a fascinating show, and I hope you will join me with Michael Jacko next week. I'm sorry that's all we have time for today, and I'd like to thank you for listening to me, listening to the show. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Thank you so much. We hope that you found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring. Please join host Peter Tong for another edition of Awakening to Conscious Creation next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Noon Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. 
visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.